McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Bobby fans and welcome to the Forecast episode 86. Well it's been an up and down week for the Blues as a disappointing result against Doncaster followed by a pretty good result there against Gillingham. Joining me today on the podcast to go through all this stuff is Sam Stone. How are you Sam? I'm very well Hugh, thank you for having me on. Always a pleasure mate, always a pleasure. Yeah so let's just get cracking into what we're doing today. So first of all we're going to review the Doncaster game. Following by on that, we're going to fly into, and with a little bit more joy, talk about the win against Gillingham. And then the reason why a lot of you will be listening, because, you know, you love listening to us a bit, but let's be honest, listening to uh, the interview with Owen Taggart's probably more interesting. So we've got a cool interview with Pompey winger um, Owen Taggart, and he just talks about his experience through football all the way to where he is now. So on his journey, and to conclude this podcast, we are going to preview the game against Sunderland, that lot up north. Right, Sam, let's get into it, mate. Doncaster was a pretty disappointing result. 1-0, the team looked pretty, I'm going to say inept, but, you know, they looked like we couldn't score a goal, like nothing was going to happen. Sam, Sam lead us in. What were your thoughts on the game? Um, I think initially, obviously, with the, the, obviously we lost 1-0, but I think it was two very poor sides on show. Um, I think that's what makes it even more disappointing, the fact that I actually think Doncaster were particularly good we actually had quite a lot of the, we had quite a lot of the ball in the second half for, and for a Pompey side that's quite um, Kenny Jacket Pompey side that's quite um, quite a shock obviously didn't start very well initially they were on top and we did get ourselves back into the game a little bit towards the end of that second half but we just showed there was no cohesion or anything going forward and we still look quite open at the back even though we keep saying that if it's you know we hear interviews from Lee Brown, Kenny Jacket about the, the team being solid and and the goal, they just cut through us. The, the ball, Lee Brown was caught well out of position and their left back slash left winger, James, was just open in the middle of the box and he, nice finish, but you could kind of see it coming. It was a game that one goal was just going to seal it either way and it, it could have been us, it could have been them. I don't think either side deserved it. I think it had nil-nil written all over it, to be honest, but... Um, yeah, it, it, Pompey should be playing a lot better, especially at home against a, a relatively poor side. I know they got a good result last night, but from what I saw of them, they weren't much better than us and a draw would probably been fair. I think that's fair enough as well. I mean, it was one of those results, I think, that felt quite of an emotional loss because of the poor performance. It looked like 
going forward again, the same problems, the same inability to get the ball forward deep, to apply pressure to Doncaster's side and actually challenge them um, in the formation. And then just when you think things are getting a bit, you know, looking a bit bleak, um, Ellis Harrison gets taken off with a calf muscle. And I remember at, at the time I thought, well, you know, that's that's huge problems to Pompey just purely because of the fact that, you know, John Marcus up front on his own has been really struggling for us. And, you know, I wasn't really sure what to think of it at the time. But do you think that let's talk about, I suppose there's not really much to go through in that game, Sam, because uh, to be honest, key events, pretty low, wasn't it? Can you think of something in particular that stood out for you? Apart from the goal, I think it's just all on that kind of, as you mentioned, Harrison getting injured the two games that Harrison's played, he's probably been our best player. He he plays that role kind of up front on his own really well. So it, it just kind of rubs soul into the wounds that he got injured as well in that game. Um, it's quite hard to talk about this game now after the Gillingham game. So obviously Mark was coming and played well last night. But initially when he got injured, you're kind of thinking, where did Pompey go from here? Because he, if we're going to play that kind of system, you need a striker like him who's going to put himself about and hold the ball up well. And he, he's really good at doing that. But I just, with Mark was coming in and playing well last night, it's kind of, it's hard to talk about it now, but you never know. Hopefully he can tell that performance on from last night and then we can see yeah. a bit of good form. Let's, let's move into that, Sam, because I'm, I'm, you know, I can't bother to talk about this Doncaster game anymore. Just, you know, yeah. old news. Let's move <laughs> let's on from move it, on. you know. <laughs> let's move on from it, mate. So we move straight into the Gillingham game, which is a little bit more fresh in our minds. Um, Sam, that was a much improved performance, wasn't it? Just right from the go. But after 10 minutes or so, you get that goal. You could say it's a little bit scrappy defending from Gillingham, but let's not take away from John Marquis's finish. And quite a surprising back heel, to be honest, from Ryan Williams. Yeah, both both goals were kind of goals that you'd like this. You'd probably envisage this team scoring goals where they're going to break quickly, prey on mistakes, and and you know be clinical. And that's probably one of the first goals that Marcus has scored that's been like an actual striker's goal, like a clinical like finish from him. A lot of it's them we've happened. seen. Yeah. yeah, a lot of them have been like off his like off his shoulder, or he's been on the goal line. Obviously, he had the strike at Stevenage that was a good good strike. So it's just. Like, it's nice to see him actually score a good goal where he's actually had to shift the ball, make give himself a yard, and then fit, like, slide the ball into the far corner. It's a really good finish. Yeah, the second goal as well. I uh, Obviously, I, I, I bought myself to pay the £10 for I follow. So I, I, um, I thought Jacobs had a really good game last night. You could see that he's got that bit of quality. He's played at a higher division. Um, and yeah, it was a really quick feat in the box. And, but that ball came from us breaking quickly and you know, putting the ball in space and making making good direct runs forward, um, where which we just haven't been doing. So there was a bit of cohesion going forward. And it must be said as well that Gillingham are actually a decent team, and they had a good start. They, they're up, they, they were up until the last two games, which they lost to MK Dons, who played well against us. Um, they were they were up there and had a decent start. So that must be noted. They're a good physical team, who obviously got a decent manager as well. So it's a good win. Um, you know, I think this season is going to be a bit like that. It's going to be a bit up and down. But yeah, it's good good to get a win going into Sunderland. Yeah, massively. And uh, do, you, do you feel, I mean, I'm going to look at it and think about the, the formation change to a 4-4-2. I remember when it was said it was going to be a, a 4-4-2. I was, I was dubious about whether it would actually be a 4-4-2. No, I, you know, speaking to people even at the game, they said to me it was a proper 4-4-2. And I think it helps having 
John Marcus needs someone up front with him, doesn't he? If you're going to yeah. play that formation where you just play the ball up and stuff, he needs to have, if it's not a striker, a 10 or somebody really around him that he can link play up with and play off. Yeah, I think Marcus exactly. Harness is, is the exact sort of player that I want for that because he can move the ball well, he can he can shift his feet quickly. So defenders tend to back off him a little bit and give him some space so that he's not crowded out in the same way. Um, but he also has the ability to play a little a through ball through or know when to pass or, and can score goals as well. So when we're looking at this 4-4-2 formation, Sam, do you think that it's the, it's the move to make now Ellis Harrison's out of the, out of the side? I think if, if it is actually a proper 4-4-2 where you've got the two strikers genuinely threatening in behind and making the pitch as big as possible because that's when you get the, the, the spaces for, you know, as you said, harness to kind of sit in. And be, as you said, Marquis, he can't play that role on his own. I, think, I feel he gets isolated. He's so much better when he's in that two when it's a proper two up front. And it was nice to see Curtis coming on as well and actually playing up front. And I think Curtis could be utilised well up there because he's got a good good leap on him. He wins some headers, so kind of does that kind of Harrison role if, as well with Marcus being up there and he can kind of feed on the scraps. Yeah, because Ronan Curtis has played up top for Ireland, I think. Um, well, yeah, initially well, his, first, so. his first game for Pompey, um, I'll give credit to Andrew Moon for this because I heard it on the radio last night. His first game for Pompey, um, against Luton in 2018, he actually started up front with Brandon Hounstrup on the left wing. So initially, that was where he started. I believe he played in the friendly against Utrecht. He also played up up front as well, which would have been a pre-season friendly before the start of that season. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, I know because I was doing some trying out some commentary job there at Fran Park. But um, yeah, so cool. No, I think I think the Ronan Curtis definitely could could be utilising that role. I think. I think obviously Michael Jacobs has come in. He he's looked good for me. His link up plays good as well. He seems to have some good synergy with the, with the front players. Obviously now it's great for him to get that goal and just as good talk through that. That there was a little cheeky through ball. He, you know he's played it. The, I, you know he said that he thought the ball had got away from him and he just he just sort of manages to get a toe on it, doesn't he? Um, I think that maybe surprised the keeper. And um, what your take on that? Yeah, I, I thought he'd overrun the ball and he just kind of just stuck. I, I think it was his left foot he ended up hitting it with. And he just kind of just poked it beyond the keeper. It's, it was that kind of just extra bit of sharpness that you just kind of expect from a player of, who's played at a higher level. But yeah, that goal for me was all from that that fast, direct through ball that was played by Harness. You know, that he didn't wait. There was no kind of not slowing the ball game down, no, no like nothing trying to play for possession or play for territory or anything. He literally saw the gap, played the ball early and they were, they were just out of position. They couldn't do anything about it. And that's when, were, that's when Pompey were at their best when there's that space in behind for our quick players to run into. We do struggle sometimes when we've actually got to like break teams down and grind them down. We're not really that type of team. We're a team, we're a team that gets in behind, gets, gets the ball down early for our quick wingers, who are quality players, to, to do what he did. And it was a good finish. I think where I'm, I think where I'm struggling a little bit still, Sam, is, is actually down the middle. And it, it's, that, it's that in the centre of midfield, who plays alongside? Tom Nader is the first question and I know Neil Allen's come out in the news and said that you know Sean Ragger he gave him an 8 out of 10 and you know he thought he's much improved I think he said magnificent performance was the word <laughs> from the uh, chief sports writer of the news Kids don't agree him with away. <laughs> not agree it was magnificent I think you could give him a 6 maybe yeah, a 7 could. at a push yeah. you, you, because my problem with Sean Ragger at the moment is um, on the field obviously it's just that he looks like there's a mistake in him. 
And so when the when the ball goes towards him, I, I am generally shitting myself the, the yeah. potential that he might let it go over his head or, you know, go under his foot or the scorpion kick might happen again or, you know, whatever's going to happen. I, I'm still not, not convinced of him at the back next to Jack Watmore. And I'm still bemused by the fact that, you know, Nicolaisen hasn't been given that chance at, at the back. So Kenny... He thought that his selection of, of Watmore and Ragger, you know, they've both, both been amazing, blah, blah, blah. Are you on my wavelength for this, Sam? Or am I just going a bit off, off topic and, you know, am I the only one who's, not, who's seeing this differently? And Sean Ragger, again, looks like potentially the weak link at the back. I, I do agree with the sense that like, you're watching him and you just feel there is a mistake in him. And that mistake does come of, like sometimes. There was a, the, uh, at Burton... He was the he was at fault for the first goal, I believe. He, he just feel like, in the sense you're saying, like he, he's got a mistake in every like in every game. You just feel a bit unnervy, but then also he does make some good clearances. He's in the right place at the right time. But for Neil Ann to say magnificent, you feel, I remember we were playing Gillingham away. I appreciate that they've had a good decent start, but you know a magnificent performance is in a derby match. It's in an FA Cup game against a Championship or Premier League team. You know, he's done the basics right. But the fact we've actually got a bloke who signed from a Champions League club, sat on the bench, who we're told is a ball-playing, left-footed centre-half, who wins everything in the air, is a threat from set-pieces, you know, and he's being kept out by Sean Raggett. I, feel, I, do, I just think that I, I am struggling with it. I would like to see Nick Larson come in because also Raggett does not play the ball out from the back. He, he hasn't got that in his... He hasn't got that ball-playing ability like Jack Watmore or like a Matt Clark, or a Christian Burgess. So when you look at Nicolaisen coming in, he's come from a team where they, they do play football properly on the floor. They're famous for it as well. Yeah, a lot of Scandinavian teams are. And, and we're, he's literally sat on the bench. And, it, and I appreciate that, that there's always that old saying that you don't want to break a partnership up with when, it's, when you win, for example, with uh, Raggett and Watmore. But I think it's, it's, it's quite clear that if... If, if we have another centre-half who can play the ball out on the floor, it adds another dimension for us going forward. And also, we haven't really seen this guy play, but I don't know if he's going to have as much for, like, look like he's got a mistake in him as much as Sean Ragger, because it does, it does seem like every game he's just got something, he's just gonna, there's going to be something. that He doesn't seem good on it, like uh, light on his feet or stable in his feet. Um, but yeah, for him to get a magnificent, I'm not too sure about that. No, I agree. I mean, obviously, records does do a lot of good stuff. Well, as you said, of you know, the, the, in the air, he's dominant. He put some good challenges in, and sometimes when he's not making a mistake, you know, his positioning is has been pretty decent. But yeah, moving into midfield, um, Andy Cannon comes into the centre of midfield to replace Ben Close, who seems to have only made one game in his comeback. Andy Cannon, I thought some of his passing was a bit wayward in this game. Bad performance by by any sense, but was his best performance in the centre of midfield there. If we're going to play a 4-4-2, would you not be more inclined to drop Ben Close back into it? Because I think that if you look at the two performances that we've had, um, I'd say Ben Close's performance was more complete in the last game, even in a, in a shitter game against Doncaster, than uh, Andy Cannon's was in the last game against Gillingham. I think, I think we could both agree on one thing, and is that both of them should start over Bryn Morris. To start, I think that's one thing that I yeah. Let's get let's get that sorted. Let's get that sorted out there first. I do I do think that Andy Cannon has. I think the game yesterday may have suited Andy Cannon more just because of the nature of the opposition. Um, 
Steve Evans' team going to be physical, going to be a lot of pressure on the ball early, going to be, you know, it's going to be more of a, um, I don't know what the word is, more of like a war. It's, it's not going to be as pretty. There's not going to be much played on the uh, much football in the midfield played on the, on the deck. Whereas Ben Close playing at home against Doncaster, who tend to play some decent football, it might be a more of a Ben Close game. I do think, and I hope it is that it is kind of a competition between those two now for that place. Because I don't think Bryn Morris has done anything to deserve a it, 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 Both of Ben Close and Andy Cannon have, offer more to the team with their Andy Cannon's energy, his dynamism to get forward. Um, and then you've got Ben Close's passing ability, which he showed against Doncaster was really good. So I'm kind of torn at the minute. It, I, for me, it would be the opposition you're playing against. Looking against Sunderland, I'd like to see Andy Cannon play just because I feel he adds a little bit more bite um, in that midfield, which I think it's going to be a physical game. Whereas if you're playing a kind of a good footballing team where you might be playing on the floor a bit more, then you'd look at, look to bring in Ben Close. But it's got to be one of those two now, not, not Bruno Morris. Oh, I agree. I agree. And I'm not going to be unhappy to see um, Andy Cannon play as well. As long as, as, long as Bryn Morris isn't starting in that, in that position, because I feel he seems so flat and so deep when he plays in the, in the centre of midfield, almost just playing parallel to, I, to I Naylor, think, which is not what we need I, at all. I think that you've nailed it. It's just flat. There's nothing. He adds nothing. He just, he doesn't really do a job. He does, he just, he's just there. You know, his passing's all right. That's about it from what I've seen of him. And, but whereas, you know, with Ben Close and Andy Cannon, you actually get something from him. Yeah, and that's needed. He's almost like a uh, not as physical defensive version of Tom Naylor. Um, okay, okay, that's cool. Let's move on then. All right, let's move on. Welcoming to the podcast is Owen Taggart. I think we've done pretty well getting a list of people. So we had Haji Minogo last week. Go back and listen to that. If you haven't listened to it, it was a fantastic interview. Um, and the week before, we spoke to Alfie Stanley down at Bogner as well as Robbie Blake but today's all about Owen Taggart so here's the interview with me Sam and Pompey winger Owen Taggart. I'm joined here with uh, Sam Stone co-hosting me and thank you very much to be on the podcast here um, Owen Taggart how are you mate all right? I'm all good how are you doing? Mate I'm pretty good mate actually uh, it was a good win good win yesterday for the lads I think it was uh, yeah, one of those ones that was yeah, that was needed. Uh, and yeah, looking good. So um, onwards and upwards to Sunderland, mate. But this is not about the Pompey team, mate. Uh, this is just about getting to know a bit about you. So let's start from the beginning, as we always do, and we'll get cracking. So could you talk us through how you got into football? And was it difficult balancing it with school and family life? How did it start off for you, mate? Um, well, my local club, Ballinahan Youth, they just they had just started when I was seven. And um, my mom advertisement in the newspaper and she just says look do you want to go and I was like yeah why not so ended up going there spent about five or six seasons with them and then left when I was under 13 went to a couple of Irish league clubs and then under 16 I started getting scouted whenever I was under 16 going on trials it was hard trying to balance everything because there was time for us only in school maybe two days a week so then just trying to balance all the homework and stuff like that, it was difficult at times, but my mum and dad and brother, they all helped me through getting the work done and eventually ended up with six GCSEs, so I was happy enough for that. No, but there was, times where, there was times where I was at school and school at one point said, look, we're not going to let you go on trial anymore because you're missing too much school, but they just had to let me go at the end of the day. 
Oh, it's worked out well for you though, mate, hasn't it? So it's one of those, it's yeah. one of those difficult ones. Were your family quite supportive of you in that sense then, your, your parents? Were they, were they trying to get you to go go to school as well? And do you reckon that helped you get the, get those six GCSEs in the end alongside? Yeah, yeah, they always wanted me just for, if football never worked out, a serious injury and had to just quit football, at least I've got that back in of GCSE results to fall back on. Yeah, massively. If you if you weren't going to be a footballer, did you have anything in mind, or was it just a complete like I'm going to become a footballer, I'm going to make it now? Um, um, and there's, not, there's nothing else that I've thought of in my life. Well, f- football was the main thing, yeah. But then, whenever I was at school, I was doing all like hands-on stuff. So I was doing motor vehicle, joinery, plumbing, electric, metal work, and stuff like that. So I enjoyed joinery and motor vehicles. So that was something maybe I was going to possibly do if football didn't work out. Because before I came to Portsmouth, Portsmouth wasn't 100% certain. So I had a plan for colleges um, to see if I could get on like BTEC courses. And then eventually Portsmouth got sorted out and I ended up over here. As a, as a young player coming, through, coming from a different, different country over to Portsmouth, it must be quite, a, quite an experience. You have to adapt to a new, new life in a new city. How's that been? Um. I've actually found it fairly easy adapting to everything. I think it's because as well, being away with Northern Ireland, I was away once or twice a month with them, different countries, um, playing games. And then whenever I was going on trail, I was always staying with the host family as well. So like I was getting used to staying with other people and it, I just found it easy then whenever I first came over. And you mentioned the um, different host families. What is it? What is it like then? Is it like a like a foreign language exchange where you sort of go and stay with with a family or that? Is that how it works out? Never an option of going. Yeah, you can stay in a hotel. It was always yeah, you're staying with such and such, um, Mister and Mrs. And you just turned up and arrived there, and they were always friendly and welcoming, which was nice because I think it was the first time I went to Wofford, and um, I. I would have had a good week's trial, but the people I stand with was awful. Had a had a small box room with no TV, wardrobes or drawers. That's luxury just, in Watford, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it was an awful experience that way, but the training and all was brilliant. No, that's cool. And I suppose um, we said like you've represented Northern Ireland there um, at under 19s level. And um, what does it mean to you to represent Northern Ireland? And and what are your experiences so far? Um, it's brilliant playing for Northern Ireland. You're playing against some of the best players in the world. Like last November, um, we were playing against Portugal, Germany, and Norway. And one of the Portugal wing- wingers had like a hundred and twenty million release clause at Man City. And then you've got like people like me playing for Portsmouth, so it's it's mad. But um, it's like it's a good experience playing against all top players from different countries and just the training as well. It's always top class. And how did you find out you got called up? Was it just uh, did you get I, a letter in the post? I, I always get an email. I always get an email on a Sunday evening. And then Monday morning, I'll get called in the meeting with Mark or Daishi, Liam Daish. And they'll just say, look, yeah, you've been called up from Northern Ireland. And they'll just give me a heads up as well. But they know now that I always get, I always get an email as well. So at least both of us will find out at the same time, which is good. It's amazing you say about the Portugal winger for 120 million. He's got release calls. What's it like? What's the difference between going international football and then coming back to, say, you know, Portsmouth or 
a club at this level, is it is it a, a massive difference in, in the quality of player? Is it can you tell when you go out on that pitch? Yeah, definitely you can tell like there's a massive difference. Just technically, you know, like how technical foreign players are and the way the way they move the ball was it was a joke. Like, <laughs> Norway actually won that tournament out of the four teams, which was surprising because they were run away with it. But Norway beat all three of us, and they so they they weren't like a PSC or skillful team. They just kept moving the ball one two touch, and it was crazy. That's madness. Is there anyone in, in the Northern Ireland squad that Pompey fans don't know which they should be looking out for in particular? Um, someone that someone that you know we should know because I don't think you get as much coverage in um, in Northern Ireland. There's there's some players you got like Ben Wiley plays for Celtic, Sam McLaren plays for Chelsea. Ethan Galbraith plays for Man United. He's played for the men's senior team as well. And um, there's actually there's loads of people, even in the 19 squads, 19 squad, all the way down, there's loads of people that are coming out of the shadow, basically. As we're talking about um, this, the Ireland team here, obviously we've, we've had Ronan Curtis come over from Ireland. He was the League of Ireland playing for Derry. Uh, for Derry. Um more and more players seem to be making the move over to England. Do you think football in Ireland is slightly underrated or maybe people don't know about it as much? Because there, there seems to be some good players coming over. Yeah, I, I think it's underrated a good bit because um, you've got the League of Ireland um, down in the Republic, which is quali- it's good quality. You've got Dundalk qualified for Europa League this season. So it just goes to show that the teams down, down in Republic are just as good and Europe as well and then Northern Ireland the teams are just getting better and better each season like Linfield I think four or five of their players have been signed for Oxford in like the past two or three seasons so it just shows you like Northern Ireland and Republic that the players are capable of going to League One championship teams Oxford are getting all the players what's that about? That's crazy. <laughs> we need to Any get onto our scouting team yeah. <laughs> Any BBC news it says Oxford has signed Northern Ireland player such and such from some club. They've got someone over there, haven't they? I reckon someone's <laughs> scouting over there. We've got to get in there first before him, I reckon, mate. But um, talking back on um, back to sort of like back in the UK, uh, we see Pompey loaning out young players um, such as yourself to pretty local clubs to get into if some first team game time. We had a little chat with um, Alfie Stanley a few weeks ago as well, who's on loan down in down at Bognor. Do you yeah. feel that you progress more playing week in, week out? Or do you feel like you progress more around the first team? And I suppose, you know, better players in that sense. Uh, it's a tough question, like because whenever you're training with the first team, you want to make that impression every day on the gaffer. And, um, Training's always high intensity and you're wanting to do well, but at the end of the day, games are the only thing that's going to improve you. But like playing men's football week in, week out, you're getting kicked, you're getting booted up in the air, which is it's good and it just shows you you have to be resilient as well. And um playing games is where you're gonna get watched and judged by. See, I watched the Norwich EFL game last season in the, the trophy. Um I wasn't the only one who fought it, but like on that on that left wing, you had too much pace for that that right back, and you were going past him every single time. Do you say? Would you say your pace is your main kind of your asset? That your main thing that scares defenders? I would say my pace and crossing 
would be my two best abilities. But um, yeah, I, d- I just like using my pace and going down the line, sticking a good cross in because it's basically that's what my game is at the end of the day. And then sometimes chipping in with a goal or two. But um, I do I prefer not prefer, but like I enjoy getting the assists. We need people to actually get yeah. down the wing, get some good balls into the box. And when I've seen you play, I think that what I thought smart about your play is that you get into good positions before you put the ball in. Yeah. Does that make sense? So some players, you see, just kick the ball too early, they take the cross because they can, rather than yeah. getting to the right place before putting the ball in. Do you reckon that's, do you reckon that's fair? Because um, I think it was Joe Gallen said on an interview, um, he just says, I'm all, a couple of people have said it like I'm an old school winger. I just like to get the ball and my first thought cross it. Go with the defender, beat the defender and stick across him. That's just basically, like I said, that's what the game's all about. Do you think that sort of sets you out differently then to some of the wingers at Pompey who like see Ronan wants to cut inside and what you see, um, I know Marcus Harness is playing up top at the moment, but when he, when he plays, he tries to drift in centrally as well, doesn't he, and stuff. So does that sort of make you stand out? Is it a bit different to an option that we've got at the moment playing in the first team? Thank you. Um, do. It gives you that. It gives you that variety then of wingers in the squad. You've got people who can stay outside. You've got people that can go inside. But I think that's what I, I'm trying to improve on as well is going inside and not always staying out wide, just being predictable. Because then defenders will know, yeah, he's just going to stay outside, and you can show them in one direction, so it's much easier for them. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Is, is anyone in particular helping you sort of work on? Uh, your game or is there anyone who particularly in the squad who's helped you settle in or um, I heard Andy Cannon's a bit of a bubble like, I don't know like, is, there, is there anyone out there in particular who's been sort of helping um, you out with your game man just generally but, really yeah. improving the game like because third year scholars we do like doing the small small four or five people training sessions is good because then you get to work on your own game and everyone's trying to help you improve but then yeah there, there's a good few from the first team that are helpful because they like to roam in I've, ta- I've texted him a few times asking for advice and he's always been helpful and he, said, he showed me some clips as well, which is good. So it just shows you that they're all willing to help you and just help the, help your development as well. Which one of Pompey's current wingers would you would you kind of liken yourself to most? Would it be Ronan Curtis or...? I would probably say, yeah, Ronan, just because we're both Irish. I think that <laughs> helps as well. That, that helped me settle in as well because you've got Mark Kelly and... Liam Dish are also Irish and just just being Irish is someone to bounce off basically uh, I'll drop in that I mean my mum's Irish mate I've interest if you're interested so I'm, I'm half Irish as well so um, oh, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be on, on the team here you know Sam you can just sort of take a back seat on this one mate but <laughs> No, but um, no, I think I think that's cool. I think it's nice that the lads help you settle in and stuff. And um, you know, with the coaching staff, do they keep in touch with you when you're when you're down at Gosport? Um, do they sort of help you give instructions, or do they just talk to the staff there? Or you know, how does that work? Um, well, you've got Mark Kelly who go and watch most of our games if they're at home. But if he's not there, then he'll just ask the manager how we're doing, and then Monday morning we'll just fill out just fill out a, a page and say how we thought we'd done and then I'll be a report from the Gosport manager saying how he'd done and it's just all up on the computer for everyone to see. That's cool. It's just like a report so you can basically track how you're doing and stuff. Yeah, like self-improvement and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's good and then 
you've got the our analysis as well, who's able to clip out individual bits from training or a game, and then we can look at it and say, yeah, should have done that better, should have done this better, oh, that was good. Nice one. Um, yeah, Sam, I'm just going to say, just before we round this off then, because it's, you know, the other bits, uh, we're definitely going to pop down, come and, um, come and see you guys, and you and Harry Kavner, who's down at, at Gosport, um, yeah. we've been doing the same watching Bogner a bit we've been away quite a few times with the podcast just following you know um, speaking to, speak to Alfie a couple of weeks ago and stuff and I think it's good to give coverage of all the players and you know what's going on especially now we've got a bit of time in these bonkers times that we're living in now to come and watch you play you only allow fans in non-league as well it's sweet isn't it because I've been yeah. away with Bogner a few yeah. times now it's cool hopefully Pompey draw a non-league team in the FA Cup whenever we were playing um, Hereford Mm. The second round of the qualifiers, they weren't allowed to bring any fans. So it was literally just home fans were the only ones allowed to attend. Yeah, that makes sense then. So you can have fans there still, so stand corrected. Yeah, but yeah, definitely, people listening, go and watch some local football. Um, it's sick and it's sweet, and uh, I've been loving it, to be honest. So um, yeah, Sam, do you want to finish us off, and then we'll let you go, mate, because I know it's a bit late. <laughs> yeah, so we're seven games into the Pompey season now. It's been a, I think it's safe to say it's been up and down start what um with 38 games to go what's your kind of prediction for Pompey and Gosport this season um well for Pompey I think everyone would like them to get promoted I think the past the past two seasons I've been here they've been in the playoffs and then just fell short but hopefully hopefully this season we can go that one step further and try and get into the championship because I think we are we are big enough championship club like at the end of the day Portsmouth's a big club in League One, and then Gosport. We're just trying to go for the league. I would say, try and get try and get out of the league and move up because we're probably one of the best teams in that league as well. Yeah, I think you've both got a good opportunity, mate. And um, yeah, cool. Well, we're going to come down and see you anyway, mate. So we'll catch up next time. Uh, we're down thanks in Gosport, yeah. mate. But sick. But thanks again for coming on the podcast. I know I appreciate it. And no I know all the listeners appreciate it as well. No problem. I'm glad cool. to be on. Thanks, dude. Cheers, all right, have a nice evening, mate. Uh, you too. Cheers. All right, see you later. See you later, mate. Have a good one. Thanks again, yeah? Uh, bye-bye. Thanks, Owen, again for coming on the podcast, mate. It was absolutely great to to speak to you um, and just to say to everyone else here, having a chat with him, he's a he's a proper proper top lad. Uh, Sam, Sam, what was your takeaway from that chat we just had? Yeah, it was really nice for him to come on, and he was really insightful. Um, it was good to get some uh, insight into his uh, his time at Gosport and how he's been enjoying that, and yeah, and and to hear about um, obviously how he's been developing at Portsmouth because it's been from coming over from Ireland it's quite a big change for him so it's been inter- it was interesting to hear what he's been taking off our other players and how he's going to develop but yeah it was, it was really good to hear from him yeah no it's cool and I, I especially think it's interesting about the about travelling with Northern Ireland you know staying away staying with host families all that kind of stuff it's, it's pretty intense isn't it for a young person so he seems to be taking it in his stride and uh, we'll go down and have a chat with him and uh, Harry Kavner are down at Gosport um, after a game we'll sort that out and we'll do some more of that stuff as well as going down scouting Alfie Stanley and letting you all know listening how the uh, young guys are getting on all right let's move on it's the Mackhams we're up against now Sam let's be honest you know it's awful not being able to go away we've all been to Sunderland away it's a massive laugh up there it's a good 
night out, you know, staying in Newcastle, let's be honest, it's not sweetening it over, traveling to Sunderland for the game day. Um, but I'm not going to be worried about missing being right at the top of that horrible stand, uh, miles away from the pitch, you know, freezing my ass off in the middle of, well, it's October, isn't it? I was trying to make it sound cold, it's not that bad. But yeah, no, so Sam Sunderland. They are on fire at the moment. Uh, they've only, I'm, this is off the top of my head because my notes are elsewhere, but they've uh, scored seven goals, I believe. Um, yeah, seven goals in six games. They've only conceded once in the league so far. They've got a game in hand over us, but they're currently three points ahead of Pompey in the league. They're looking good. I've spoken to uh, Sunderland podcast about two hours ago before. I'm talking to you guys, the um, What the Falk, that's F-A-L-K, rather than fuck, a podcast. Go check it out. Um, it's about 45 minutes long if you're interested in a deeper dive into it. But uh, yeah, we spoke about Sunderland there. They are really confident they're going to win this game. I, I mean, I, I'm just going to say that. And they're not, they're not usually this confident about playing us. It's usually very much a toss of a coin situation. And it's not even coming from the fact of how we're playing, really. It's, it's down to how they're playing defensively they look rock solid at the back they're playing a central three at the back they've had reported in the press some defensive issues of players getting injured um but apparently luca nine's coming to play at center back as well or in a, in a back three that's worked out very well led bitter in the center of midfield apparently is looking absolutely boss man for them um and i think the only thing they're struggling to do a lot is score goals uh, Charlie White has somehow got a couple of goals for them. I asked Sunderland fans why about that. They they literally turn around and just like, you know, don't know, we're doing well. It's Charlie White scoring. So midfield, I'm pretty concerned. They've got a few players to play wing-back systems. They get forward quickly. They get the balls into the box. I'm a little bit worried, Sam, that they're going to try and crowd us out in midfield. We play 4-4-2. What are your thoughts on the Sunderland game? And Are you expecting Pompey to come away with any points? Oh, if you, if we'd gone into that Gillian game last night and got a draw or lost, I I wouldn't be confident at all. But Portsmouth always managed to give you some sort of glimmer of hope before they drag you back down to earth, don't they? Um, so, <laughs> I I, don't, I mean, we know enough about Sunderland. We've played them so many times over the years. Obviously, I'm gutted we can't. It would have been a great game to go to. Um, I always love going up there. Um, but yeah, they 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 seem the real deal this year, don't they? That it's been those those two seasons. Uh, how many seasons they've been in? Two seasons now, where they've kind of flirted with promotion. This is their third, isn't it? This yeah, they flirted season. with promotion. They haven't really had that kind of that edge to get them over the line. Definitely, scoring goals has been a problem. Too many draws for them, as well. But and Parkinson had a tough start, so he's he's really got them going now. Um, for me, this is a game that we've got as as similar to the, the Michael Jacobs goal. We've got to exploit space when it is there because they get their wing backs up up high and try and get crossed into the box. So if we win the ball back, we've got to be smart with it and put it into the right areas for our for our dangerous front front players to to, to capitalise and get the get the goals. So but yeah, I'm I'd probably say midfield is, is the danger area. They've got that they signed Scowan from QPR, who's a good midfielder, obviously Ledbitter as well. It's it's gonna be an area where a problem area or an area where the game could get away from us. It'll be interesting as well. I don't know if you think it, because they play three at the back, maybe Kenny Jacket. It might be an option at half-time. He might even go for it from the start where he matches up and goes 3-4-3 three, three, or kind of just to go man for man and maybe bring Nick Larson in at centre-half. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. 
but it will be a tactical battle again because you've got two similar style managers who are going to kind of play similar game plans in the sense of being physical. So it'll be interesting to see that. Yeah, no, it will be. I'm just, I'm just trying to think about this. And if you look at how they play, they've got Scour, they've got Ledbitter who anchors the midfield. Uh, in the last game, they played Max Power there, who's been up and down for them. Denver Hume on the left-hand side is very good getting forward. He will put the ball in the box. So, you know, Callum Thompson's going to have to be a little bit wary that he doesn't you know, lose him in, in that sense and, you know, does provide some defensive cover, which I think he will do fine. Um, and then you've got Chris Maguire, who, let's be honest, Pompey's favourite player. Um, he, you know, he scores goals. He's already been scoring goals this season. I think he's, I can't remember if he's got one or two, but he's looked uh, dangerous. He's got two goals this season already. Two goals and one assist. Uh, statistically, he's been the best player as well. He played behind Charlie Wyke in a in a sort of three four one one formation, which is a bit odd, but that's what they played the last game. Um, and uh, you know Chris McGuire's got the ability to score a goal from from nowhere as well as we have we seen really against us in the playoffs. So we know a lot about Sunderland, but they are playing well at the moment. Then again, Sam, they were playing well last time we played them in the start of last year. And again, if 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 you'd said to me before this Ginium game, I I had to give a score prediction on the last podcast, and I, it would have been pretty negative. Um, now. I'm a little bit. I found it quite difficult to make a prediction, so I'm going to fire it over to you first, Sam. What result are we going to get? Score prediction time. Yeah, I, I feel that the Gillingham, the Gillingham performance as a whole, I think it was a, a complete performance in the sense we were good going forward, we were good defensively. So it's kind of, it's maybe a little bit more positive, positive about this game. Obviously, they are flying very hard to beat, but I do think we will score. I think we've got enough about us to score. I think Michael Jacobs could be the difference going forward for us. And he could be the difference getting through their getting through their very um, strong back line. So, but the issue is I don't know if we're going to be able to hold out because I feel the pressure will build. So I'm actually going to go for a one-all draw, which I actually think is a very good result because we actually need to stop them getting the points. They've got a game in hand as well. Essentially, if they win, it's quite a big gap. I know it's early in the season, but if the promotion is decided by a handful of points at the end of the day, so a draw would be a good result, especially going away from home. But yeah, so a one-all draw for me. No, I actually, um, when I was saying I wasn't sure about what sort of result, um, what sort of score I was going to predict for this game, I I did toss with a a one-all draw. But I'm afraid I'm going to go for a 2-1 Sunderland win. I I just, I think at the moment, we're not consistent enough and we don't look, we haven't convinced me enough compared to how Sunderland have been to really honestly say that I think we're going to come away with any points in this game. I do think, though, that a one-all draw is the second most likely result that I was going to predict, Sam, because I do think they'll get a goal and I think that we'll score. I just don't trust the back line at the moment, no matter how much the club pump it out, that they will be able to keep Sunderland from scoring a couple of goals. So I'm going to go with, for them, uh, maybe uh, uh, Chris Maguire is going to score, isn't he? And yeah, no, he always scores. <laughs> and uh, Charlie White's got, got a couple of goals recently. He never scores generally, but unfortunately he is scoring goals. So yeah, let, let's go with one of those, two one each, and I'm going to go Marcus Harness to get the Pompey goal. All right, cool. All right, Pompey fans, thank you for listening. Sam, mate, it's always a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Cheers, mate. Really enjoyed it. Hopefully get me back on soon. Will do, of course, mate. And until next time. 
You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.